Well, welcome everyone. It's good to see all of you on this beautiful morning. Hope you are all doing well. So if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we've been doing a series I've been called talking about what story are you telling. Started out this year saying that God is inviting each of us to be able to share our story with somebody else or tell another person what Christ has done in our life. So it's important for us to ask us that question. What story do we tell other people? What do we tell other people about what Christ has done in our life? But it's also important for us to be able to tell our story to Christ as well, to be able to have good communication with God the Father. And so the last few weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? In other words, what does it mean to put Jesus at the center of your life? I think sometimes it's good for us to pause and to think about that for a moment, to remind ourselves that as followers of Jesus, we are to put him in the center of our life. I think sometimes when we talk about putting Jesus in the center of our life and living our life um, according to how the Bible instructs us, I think sometimes we think, well, that was for Jesus. Maybe that's not for me. Maybe I couldn't do that. That sounds a little bit too difficult for me. But yet that's what the Holy Spirit has empowered each of us to do, to be able to follow Jesus. See, the goal of Lake Effect Church is that, or we say our purpose of Lake Effect Church, is that we would become a people that are devoted to Christ and his message for the world. See, that's what we are called to do, to be devoted to Christ and devoted to his message and to spread his message to the world. And if we're going to do that, then we become like him and we start to do the things that he has called us to do. So if Jesus is the center of our life, we need to know how do we properly deal with challenges? How do we deal with trials? How do we deal with hurts? How do we deal with difficulties in our life? If you're here last week or listened to my message last week, you'll know that I said that according to many experts, one of the best indicators of future success is how a person handles obstacles and difficulties that they have in their life right now. So we talked a lot about that last week, about overcoming our challenges and our obstacles. You might be wondering, why am I talking about that again? Why am I continue to be in this, this theme of talking about disappointments and discouragements? I keep talking about it because discouragements are not going away anytime soon. And I think we've all noticed in the news and the media, we see more and more disappointments. It really doesn't matter right now if you're Democrat or you're Republican or you're independent voter or you're young or you're old or where you came from or what your profession is. I think all of us are looking at our political scene a little bit discouraged. We have optimism as well, but I think some of the behavior that we've seen over the last several months is discouraging. And on top of that, we have this COVID epidemic. And some days it looks like it's getting better, and some days it doesn't. And I think we've seen a lot of people at their worst behavior over the last few months. And I think a lot of us are tired, and they're weary. And see, for us, disappointments and hurts and frustration are a perfect setup for temptations. And temptations are a perfect setup for us to sin. So I keep talking about disappointments because none of us want to sin. None of us don't want, none of us want to fall in the trap of we're so discouraged that it leads us directly into temptation and we end up kind of going on a sinning spree. I'm concerned for that. I'm concerned for a lot of us that our discouragement might lead us into places that we don't want to go. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus was a man just like us. 
And one of the ways that he was like us is that he was tempted. Jesus was tempted to sin. And the reason Jesus was tempted is so he could understand us, so he could identify with us. But also he was tempted and never sinned so he could overcome any temptation that we would experience. And because he overcame any temptation we would experience, he can lead us out of any situation that we might find ourselves in. But even though Jesus was tempted, fortunately, he never sinned. He never gave in to sin. He could have sinned, but he never did. And the reason that Jesus never sinned is because he had a place to go to when life got difficult. When life got really, really hard, Jesus had a place to go to. Luke 5, verse 16 tells us, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus would often sneak away or go away to pray. The book of John tells us that Jesus had another place to go to, that he would frequently go with his disciples, and that's the place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Jesus and his disciples needed to get away, they would often go to this garden. They'd go to this garden to find peace and to find solitude and to pray. See, they weren't going to this garden to ignore the hurts and the pains that were going on in the world. They were going to that garden to find comfort. They were going to the garden to find comfort that only God can give. And also when they find God's comfort, they find a way out of temptation. That's why Jesus would say to his disciples when they went to the garden the night that he was betrayed, Jesus said to the disciples, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. There's a connection between going to the garden of silence and solitude and watching and praying so you don't fall into temptation. See, many times when we give in to sin or give in to our proclivity towards sin, we don't do it out of ignorance. Usually we do it because we're tired and we're frustrated and we're hurt and we're disappointed. Most Christians that find themselves sinning, they don't do it because they didn't know better. It's often we do it because we're hurt or we're lonely. And it's in those times of temptation that we usually tell ourselves, well, what difference does it make anyway? Who's going to really care? Life seems so frustrating. Life seems overwhelming they were like, does it even matter? See, so often then temptation just leads us right into that trap of sin. So that's why would Jesus would withdraw into the garden. I love what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It's kind of an encouraging word. Paul says to us, he said, the temptations in your life are no different from what other people experience. And God is faithful. He would not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. That's such a beautiful passage to remind us in the midst of the temptation that God is faithful and he will lead you out. We've got to remember that. It's faithful that the faithfulness of God leads us out. So this week I want to look at how does Jesus handle one of the most hardest, difficult days of his life. The three, the last three hours that Jesus has as a free man. What is he going to do? The last three hours before Jesus is taken over by his captives, what is he going to do? 
I want to read the passage today from Matthew 26, verse 36 through 46. It's a good glimpse into the humanity of Jesus Christ to see how does Jesus respond when his temptation is high. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time, and he prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying, this time, saying the same things this time. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed unto the hands of sinners. Up. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. This is kind of a beautiful story of the last three hours of Jesus' life and how he's going to handle it. We get a front row seat to kind of see the emotions of Jesus and what he's dealing with at this time. And on one hand, Jesus is fully God and he's also fully man and we see the humanity of Jesus as he's starting to realize the suffering that he's going to experience in the next hours. See, no longer is Jesus looking at his death on the cross as years away or months away, but now he's getting to the place where it's minutes away. And because he's fully God, does not mean he gets a pass at the pain he will experience. Jesus will experience the pain of the cross just like a regular human being. He will experience what it feels like to have a nail driven through your hand. But the most pain that he's going to experience is when the sins of the world are placed on him and he's separated from God. And as Jesus is in that garden, he's recognizing that that time is coming. And the pressure of that He's starting to realize. That's why he says to his disciples, he says, my soul is crushed because the thought of the pain of being separated from God is starting to get very, very real. So this is a setting. Jesus was having a Passover celebration with his disciples. This is kind of the big day on the Jewish calendar. For the Hebrew people, this is kind of their Christmas. It's a day that families get together and they celebrate Passover. They celebrate when God liberated the Israelites from the nation of Egypt. So there's a lot of excitement to have a Passover meal. And here Jesus is with his 12 closest friends. They're having a great meal. I'm sure it's fun. I'm sure it's joyful. I'm sure they're having a very good time until it gets towards the end of the meal and Jesus decides to tell them that one person that's there is going to deceive Jesus. You can imagine how the attitude or the emotion in that room quickly shifted when Jesus says, one of you is going to deceive me. 
Because suddenly everybody in that room is wondering, who's it going to be? Is it the person next to you? Is it the person across from you? And I can't imagine what that would feel like. You hear your disciple, and you've been with these guys for three years, and to find out somebody here is going to deceive Jesus. And so the disciples are starting to get heavy in their emotions as well. One minute, everything's going great. It's a fun. It's a celebration. And the next minute, you find out something bad is going to happen. I think we all recognize those feelings when everything's going great and suddenly you get a phone call. And everything quickly changes in one second. Jesus and his disciples had a lot of decisions to make. Jesus told them clearly what's going to happen. They could have all escaped that room that night. Jesus was smart. The disciples were smart. They would know how to get out of that room and get out of town so nobody could find them. But they didn't do that. Instead, Jesus, with his 11, with his disciples, they go to the garden to pray. And when Jesus gets to that garden, he says to his friends, he says, he says to his close friends, he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch and pray with me. What he's saying to his disciples is that it's beginning to be so overwhelming when I think about what's going to happen in the next hours for me. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying the pressure of what's going to happen is starting to get so overwhelming that I wonder, am I even going to make it to the cross? Because I feel like right now I could die just because of the pressure that I'm, hand, that I'm experiencing right now. I mean, that's a lot of pressure for a person to say, I feel like I could die right now. I think Jesus legitimately was concerned. Will I make it to the cross with feeling so much pressure? By feeling and knowing what I'm going to experience. But as we all know, it's imperative that Jesus does make it to the cross. We're all depending on Jesus to make it to the cross. And it's imperative that every one of us makes it to the cross as well. And that's why Jesus goes to the garden. Because he knows if he doesn't go to the garden, he'll never make it to the cross. He needs to find strength in the garden at that time of solitude. And one of the words that Jesus says to his disciples, he says, watch. It's an interesting word that he would say to his disciples, to watch and to pray. See, that word watch means to stay wide awake. To stay wide awake and to pay attention to avoid a calamity. That's what he's saying to the disciples. Stay wide awake. Pay attention to avoid a disaster. If you don't pay attention right now, you're going to easily have a disastrous situation come to you. And that's the warning that he gives to the disciples. And what do the disciples do? Well, they fall asleep. I think sometimes we assume that the disciples fell asleep because they were tired or they just had a big meal and so they just kind of have that food coma experience. Or maybe they stayed up too late. That's why they're falling asleep. Or maybe they're disrespectful. Or I think we think a lot of different reasons. But you go to the book of Luke, in Luke 22, verse 45, and it says, At last, Jesus stood up again and returned to his disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Jesus' disciples were exhausted from grief. In other words, they were sad 
and they're disappointed, and they were confused, and they were depressed. I think a lot of us know what that feeling's like. When things that are happening that you did not expect to happen, suddenly it's overwhelming. Suddenly it's discouraging. Some, suddenly you're grieving. You watch the news. You're like, that was never supposed to happen. And suddenly we all experience those deep feelings of sadness and grief. And that's exactly how the disciples were feeling. They were so overwhelmed by discouragement that all they could do was fall asleep. I think you've all had days like that where you, you have such a hard day, you get home and all you can do is flop in your bed and sleep. You're not physically exhausted. Emotionally, you're exhausted. And that's exactly how the disciples were feeling that night. And so they fell asleep. They didn't watch and they didn't pray. And they missed some valuable lessons that Jesus was going to teach them that night. So I think we all have the question, what was Jesus trying to teach the disciples? What did he want them, why did he want them to pay attention so badly for? I think the first thing that Jesus is teaching us in this story is that when discouragement overtakes us, we better find a garden to go pray in. I think the first lesson that he wants us to see is that when we are struggling and when we are hurt, and when we are discouraged, and when we are frustrating, the best place to go is to prayer. See, Jesus could have stayed at that table with his disciples. They could have stayed at that upper room. They could have probably ate some more food, stayed there, and waited for the authorities to come there and find Jesus. But no, Jesus said, I need to go to the garden. I need to get out of the place that I'm in right now, and I need to change the scenery. I need to go to a place that I can have silence and solitude and be with my closest friends. I can't stay in that room right now because I need to focus on what is ahead of me. I need to focus on what God has called me to do because if I'm distracted, I'm not going to follow through with what God has called me to do. So that's why Jesus goes to the garden because he prioritizes the will of God in his life. We know Jesus went to the garden. He went to the wilderness many times before because in that garden and wilderness was always his time of preparation. Jesus would withdraw to the wilderness. Why? Because that's where he started his ministry. That's where Jesus would go when he had to make important decisions. That's where Jesus went that night to process his hard emotions. Jesus would withdraw to the garden for prayer to care for his soul and to pray for ministry. And now Jesus is at the garden because he's facing one of the most difficult nights of his life, the night he's going to be arrested. But it's also the place that he took his disciples over and over to train them, to prepare them for ministry. They had to go to that garden for some silence and solitude. I love what Paul says in Romans 8. He says in Romans 8 verse 34, Jesus is on the right side of God praying for us. Where's Jesus? He's praying for us. See, Jesus is already always in that garden praying for us. Every time we go to prayer, you know that you're just meeting Jesus in the garden. He's already praying for us. Jesus invited his disciples to go to the garden with him 2,000 years ago, and he continues to offer us that invitation each and every day. I think sometimes we look at prayer like, oh, that's hard, that's difficult, an hour of prayer. I think we fail and sometimes we forget that Jesus is already there. He's already invited us to the garden. He's there to welcome us to that time of prayer. 
Every time we go to prayer, Jesus is always there. And I think the second thing that Jesus wants us to, the disciples to learn is that the garden is also a place to get really honest with your friends. See, when Jesus got to that garden, he got honest with his friends. He looked at his three closest friends and he told them exactly what's going on inside of himself. He got really vulnerable. He told them about his emotions. He told them about his feelings. And I know that is so hard to do. It's hard to sit down with another person and tell them what's going on on the inside. To tell them the difficulties that we're having, to tell them the emotions that we're dealing with that seem so overwhelming, but that's exactly what Jesus did. I think sometimes we are so embarrassed, but Jesus sat down and he told his disciples, he said, I'm struggling right now. I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm feeling crushed by my emotions. See, most of us do what Jesus did in verse 36. And Jesus, in verse 36, Jesus says to the big group of disciples, hey, would you just pray for me? But then he goes to verse 37 where he takes a few of his disciples and he gets really honest with them. See, it's important to have those two groups of friends. It's important to have a wide group of friends that you can just say, hey, would you pray for me? But then there's times you need to find that deep inner circle that you can be really honest and vulnerable and raw with. I think it's a beautiful picture that Jesus didn't have to tell the whole group everything he was experiencing. He had to find that core group and get really honest with them. See, I think sometimes when we think about silence and solitude of spending time with God alone, we think it's just us and Jesus, but there's part of it that our friends are with us when we do silence and solitude. The people closest to us are also part of our silence and solitude experience with God. Because we need people to talk to. We can't just zone out people and just say it's me and Jesus. We need those friends in our lives as well. Some of you might be struggling, like, I I don't know if I have three close friends I could do that with. But fortunately, God is aware of that, and it's time to pray and ask God to connect you with people. Maybe find a Bible study, or maybe God has already put people in your life. It's just that invitation to be vulnerable with some people that sometimes can be difficult but is so necessary. But see, just telling your friends is not good enough. The Bible tells us that Jesus kept going deeper in the garden because he had to spend time alone with God the Father. He had to pour out his heart to God, and that's a place of the garden that's called lament. It's a popular word in the Bible, but sometimes it's not popular in Christianity. We don't talk about that much even though there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. You see, to lament is simply to express your grief or your sorrow or your frustration before God. To tell God what is really bothering and hurting you is exactly what Jesus did when he went before God and he said, God, is there another way? Is there another plan that could happen instead of me going to the cross? Is there something else that could happen? I mean, Jesus wanted the Lord's will to be done, but it was hard for him. I think some of us know what that's like when God calls you to do something and you wrestle with it because it does seem overwhelming. But that's an invitation to go deep into the garden with God and to tell him about that. I love what David tells us in Psalm 62. He says, Trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. That's an invitation to pour out your heart before God. Pour out those hurts and those frustrations. 
I think sometimes we forget about that part of the Bible. Even though they say about a third of the Psalms are all about lament. They're all about pouring out your heart before God. They're all about sitting with God and telling Him your hurts and your frustrations. Today you'll notice in the notes that we handed out for you, uh, my wife Becky made a, just copied several Bible verses all about lament, all about sitting with God, all about expressing our hurt with God. I think sometimes we don't do it in our culture because we kind of think, I think we sometimes think a lament is just complaining or it's just like moaning. But see, lament is something that God calls us to do. Why does he call us to do that? He doesn't call us just to the end game of complaining, but it's so that God can rebuild us. See, the goal of lament is for God to rebuild our lives, but we have to go to him and tell us what is so frustrating. See, I like what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 22. He says, the whole world has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. The whole world is lamenting. Every one of us are lamenting. We have something to lament about, but what are we doing with our lament? Where are we bringing it? I think that's one of the things why I keep in this series talking about disappointments. It's because I think a lot of us is so tempting, instead of bringing our lament to God, we bring it out in our frustration and our hurt or our bitterness. And we start saying things we shouldn't say and doing things we shouldn't say. It's amazing that Jesus, who's a man, a perfect man, even he had to lament with God. Even he had to go before God and pour out his heart. So if this perfect man has to lament, how much more do we need to lament and pour our heart out before God? See, God tells us to lament. And you know what? If he tells us to do something, that's actually part of worship. That's worshiping God when we come before him and we pour out our heart. It's worship because it's obedience. And so I think we need to focus on lament in these days when we are so frustrated by what's going on in the world instead of spending three hours talking to everybody else about it, Jesus spends three hours in the garden talking to his father about what he's experiencing because he needed God's comfort. But see, even though we find comfort in the garden, it's still a very painful place. And that's the fourth thing that we need to know is that the garden can be difficult. See, the Garden of Gethsemane literally means the place where olive oil is pressed. See, what happens at an olive, oil, uh, olive press is the flesh of the olive is pressed. It's crushed so you can get the pure oil out. See, that's what happens in the garden. Our flesh is crushed. Our fleshly desires are crushed. Our propensity to sin is crushed so that we can do the will of God. And that's hard, and that's difficult. Because sometimes the flesh is what has kept us going. A lot of times we find our comfort in our flesh and our fleshly desires, and we get in that place of the garden, and God says, no, I'm going to crush that part of you. So that's gone. So you choose to do my will. But often in that garden is a temptation to see our obedience crushed instead of our fleshly desires. And that's another lesson that we learn in the garden is that the garden can be a place of temptation. 
It's interesting that Jesus said to his disciples, in the garden, watch and pray so you're not tempted. We all know the biggest story of temptation in the garden was Adam and Eve. Here they're in a perfect garden, perfect intimacy with God, and what do they do? They sinned because they wanted to do it their way and not God's way. Sometimes when we get in that relation, into that garden, that place of intimacy, we need to allow the Lord to crush our fleshly desires. And that is difficult. And I think that's why sometimes we avoid those deep places of intercession, those deep places of prayer with God, because we don't want to be hurt. We don't want our flesh to get hurt, because we all kind of like sometimes to have a backup plan. That's what God is dealing with in the garden so we find all our comfort from him. And I think the last lesson that we need to see, there's probably many more, but the last lesson that we can see in that section of scripture is the connection between suffering and transformation. That's why I read that opening verse from Luke where Jesus says to the followers, says, but wasn't it necessary that Jesus had to suffer? See, so often in our culture, we're like, can't there be another way? We're like Jesus when he prayed to God and said, is there another way that this could happen? We want there to be another way, but yet this was the way. The suffering had to happen. The pain had to happen to get Jesus to the cross. There was no other way, and I think sometimes we miss that connection between suffering and transformation. Because we all see Jesus went into the garden saying, I'm crushed. I'm crushed to the point of death because I know what I'm going to experience. He goes into the garden almost like, like he's limping, wondering if I can make it. And then the book of Luke, it tells us in Luke 22, verse 43, it says, when Jesus is in the garden, it says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. That's what God does to us in the garden. He strengthens us. Jesus pours out his heart before God and God sends an angel to give him strength. And then it goes on in that chapter and says, And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. See, God sent an angel to comfort him, to encourage him, so Jesus could make it all the way to the cross. And I think that's just a beautiful story of Jesus going into the garden, finding strength. But it's also a picture of what happens to us when we lament before God. He gives us the strength to endure, to get to the cross. So I think sometimes we don't think we're finding much comfort in the garden because sometimes things don't dramatically change. Because you look at Jesus, it says the angel strengthened him, but the next verse is Jesus was still in anguish. But he prayed more earnestly. Sometimes if God does leave a piece of pain in our life, it is to drive us to more earnest prayer. If God's going to leave something in our life, it's going to use it to drive us to the cross. I think so often when we go, we want God just to make us comfortable. But God wants to give us comfort. He wants to give us comfort so we can endure what is going on so we get to the cross. See, the cross is where there's transformation. The cross is when we get to the place that we surrender completely to Jesus. I love the fact in, 
in, in Psalm 34, 18, it says, God is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That's one of the reasons we lament. It's because we get in touch with our brokenheartedness. And we see Jesus come and rescue us. And in Psalm 147, verse 3, it says, Jesus heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. That's a picture of what Jesus does when we come to him and lament. In Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a beautiful picture that you see that when we are mourning, we are close to Jesus. Sometimes the closest that we experience to Jesus is in that time of mourning and grief. But sometimes we don't want to go there because that's also the place that we have to give up other things that brought us comfort. I think it's a beautiful picture in this scripture where you see that Jesus is at the table with his friends and they're celebrating and having a good time. And suddenly the pressure hits these men. And then they go to the garden. They go to this place to find deep intimacy with God and with Jesus. And Jesus keeps inviting them deeper into the garden. And they go deeper in the garden to get deeper to the cross because at the cross, that's where we exchange all of our hurt and our brokenness and find wholeness. See, in Isaiah 55, there's a beautiful verse that says, Come, everybody who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's the invitation in the garden that we're thirsty and we're hungry. See, water is a symbol in this verse saying you can come and have free water. That's the symbolic of the basic human needs that Jesus says he'll meet. And then he says, I'll also give you milk that is strength. He says, I will give you wine, which is joy. It's that invitation that Jesus continues to give us that says, I will give you, I will meet every single need. I'll meet your basic human needs. I will give you strength and I will give you joy. And he says, what's the price? You don't have any money. But he says, come and buy. How are you going to buy when you don't have any money? Saying the beautiful thing, the only commodity that we have to exchange to get what we need is when we give Christ our sins and our temptations and our burdens and our hurts and our fears. That's our commodity to get joy and peace and happiness. And that's why Jesus invites the disciples to go from that table to go deep into the garden to get in touch with their feelings and get in touch with their emotions, get in touch with their fears, and they can surrender it over so they can get all the benefits of the cross. That's why Jesus invites people deep into the garden to get deep and honest and raw. So we're in touch with this commodity that he gives us, which is our sinfulness, that we can give it to him in exchange to get life and thirst and strength and happiness. And Jesus takes us deep into the garden of intimacy he exposes our sins. He exposes our frustrations. But then he brings healing. But then in the passage that I read from Luke 34, what did Jesus do when he rose from the dead? He meets the disciples and he takes them back to the table. That's what Jesus does in our life. He's constantly inviting us to the table. He's constantly inviting us to fellowship with him. And then every now and then he says, okay, now we're going to go deep. We need to go deep into the garden, deep place of intimacy 
so we can surrender those things in our life that hold us back. And I think that's the invitation that Jesus is extending to all of us right now. When we're living in this climate, there's so much uncertainty and fear and doubt and confusion. I think Jesus is inviting us, saying, come into the garden with me. Come into the garden. Come into this deeper relationship with me. Let me bring healing and comfort to your hurts and your pains and your frustrations. Stop venting online. Stop venting in the marketplace. But let's go deep into this garden experience where you can be open and honest and raw and vulnerable with, with me, and I'll take you to the cross and exchange all those things in your life that are difficult, exchange them to, give, to, to satisfy your thirst and to satisfy your hunger and satisfy your need for comfort. I will meet you there in that deep place of intimacy. And then we deal with that stuff, and then Jesus brings us back to the table of fellowship with him. And once again, we celebrate the Passover. I think that's kind of our life. We go from a cycle of fellowship with Jesus at the table and gratefulness, and then he brings us deep into the garden and says, let's, let, let's deal with some of the challenges in your life that are bothering you. See, the garden was always a place that Jesus went to for preparation. We all need preparation to know how to live in this difficult days and these difficult experiences. And that's where Jesus went to prepare, was always to the garden. And I think Jesus is inviting all of us to that deeper experience in the garden where we can be more open and raw and vulnerable with God and with our friends to say what's hurting us and bothering us. So I want to ask you today, how would you respond to Jesus at the table saying to you, let's go into the garden? Let's go into that place of deeper intimacy and fellowship and relationship. How would you respond to that invitation today? Do you want to go deeper into the garden with Jesus? Do you want to go deeper in that relationship? Do you want to give up some of these things that are tempting you and are harassing you and are bothering you? Because there is an invitation And we know from Scripture that Jesus is already there praying for us in the garden. He's just saying, come on in and join me. Unfortunately, today our worship leader is sick, so it would be appropriate to have a great song right now. But we don't have that, so let me just end in prayer. May I pray slowly as we kind of meditate and think. How do we respond to Jesus when he says, let's go deeper into the garden. Let's go deeper in your relationship with me. Let's get more serious. Let's get more serious about talking to God and talking with your friends and reading the word. So God, we come before you today grateful. We're grateful that Jesus would do whatever was necessary to get to the cross so that we could have 
eternal life. And so we come before you, Lord, grateful that Jesus did that and grateful for your Holy Spirit. Now, God, I pray for each person here and listening online, Lord, that you would empower us to follow Jesus into the garden of transformation, to follow him into the garden to be prepared for what you're calling us to do. Lord, give us the strength and the courage to follow you into the garden. God, help us to be open and honest with you. God, I pray that you deliver each of us from our temptations. And Lord, help us to find your comfort in the garden. Lord, we love you so much. We're grateful for what you're doing here in this church and in this community. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the nations of the world right now, Lord, as the whole world is, as Paul would say, they're experiencing birthing pains. The whole world, Lord, right now is. Lord, help the world to want you. God, would you open our eyes to see your son. Lord, we do pray for revival in this world, in our West Michigan area or wherever you are listening from in your community that, Lord, you would open people to the truth. But, Lord, as we are your people, Lord, I pray that you would be equipping us and preparing us, Lord, to be your ambassadors. So we love you so much, God, and thank you for today. Lord, I pray you bless this group of people that are listening to me today. They'd watch over them, protect them, and strengthen them. That you would guard them from every scheme of the evil one, and give them a desire, Lord, and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Lord, I love how Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God, would you give each of us a hunger and thirst for righteousness so that we would be filled and overflowing. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.